the pentagon calls climate change a national security risk and other stories this october 19th 2014. i'm franny halperin and i'm jamie sudler and it's this week in water On Saturday, October 18th, members of various environmental groups staged a protest at the Naples, Florida home of Governor Rick Scott. The protesters are taking action against hydraulic fracturing in the Everglades and other water problems. The demonstration was organized by the Stone Crab Alliance, Food and Water Watch, Clean Water Initiative, and Rethink Energy Florida. Some marchers carried signs saying, Protect Our Panthers and Frack Scott, Not Florida. The coalition of groups stated that their march comes on the heels of a milestone victory in Florida when a Texas oil concern, the Dan A. Hughes Company, abandoned all plans to explore for oil in Florida. While fracking's potential threats to water are on the minds of Floridians, it's also causing quite a stir in Wisconsin and Minnesota, but for another reason, how much sand it uses. In short, fracking uses a mixture of sand, water, and chemicals to shatter rock formations to release trapped oil and gas. But recently, drillers have discovered that the more sand they use, the bigger the yields. So a sand rush is on, particularly in states like Wisconsin and Minnesota, where large silica sand is the perfect shape and deposits lie close to the surface. This is raising huge concern from residents and scientists alike. A report released last month examining health risk of sand strip mining found links between inhaling silica dust and cancer. Furthermore, miners use a known carcinogen to separate the sand from debris, which can enter water sources from mine wastewater ponds. And, like fracking, sand mining uses enormous amounts of water. The growing conflict over sand in Wisconsin recently came up in the gubernatorial debate with Republican incumbent Scott Walker giving it his blessing, saying, quote, Thanks to God and the glaciers, Wisconsin has the best frack sands in the world. CBS San Francisco reported recently that at least a dozen communities in central and northern California could see their water supplies completely dry up in less than 60 days. The areas in jeopardy include Calusa and El Dorado counties, which contain relatively small communities and are located about 150 miles from San Francisco. The water supply at the Big Bend Mobile Home Park near Oroville, California, which is home to some 30 families, has gotten so low that water is now turned off between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Another casualty of the epic drought in California might be sports. Outdoor irrigation is a major water guzzler, and large landscape sites such as schools and city parks are having to let their fields turn brown and hard because of water restrictions. That's led to the canceling of some sports like soccer, football, and softball because, more than being an eyesore, dry fields pose a safety concern as the grassless ground is hard as concrete and can cause injuries or concussions for athletes. While some California cities and school districts have converted their irrigation systems to use recycled water, others are putting in artificial turf. The synthetic surface has its own issues, however. It's much hotter and requires careful cleaning to prevent infections from skin abrasions. 
Last week, it was disclosed that representatives from Chevron, ExxonMobil, Halliburton, and other oil and gas companies lobbied White House staffers on October 6th against proposed fracking regulations. The Environmental Protection Agency is considering new regulations for oil and gas wells at the direction of the White House. According to Bloomberg, the oil and gas giants pressured the White House not to proceed with the rules for federal and Indian lands. The new regulations have been in the works since 2012 after increased use of fracking stoked fears of water pollution from oil and gas development. The regulation will focus on well bore integrity, disclosure of fracking fluid chemicals, and issues related to flowback water, which is the water that comes out of a well along with oil or natural gas. At the same time that Chevron was lobbying the White House, it was also making a substantial contribution to the National Organization for Women, also known as NOW. The women's group has come under attack for not only accepting the donation, but for also soon after filing a legal brief in defense of Chevron to help it overcome a court judgment, ordering it to pay damages for massive oil contamination in the Amazon. The move has angered women worldwide, and particularly infuriated women in Ecuador, who live in the rainforest communities devastated by the company's operations. Calling it no less than a, quote, betrayal of female solidarity on a global scale, villagers were outraged, adding that the American organization has taken a stand in favor of a polluter and against women and children who are now suffering from cancer and long-term health effects. Last week, the Pentagon released a report saying that global warming poses immediate risks to U.S. national security, which could aggravate threats ranging from infectious diseases to terrorism. The report was remarkable because it detailed not long-term problems, but near-term challenges for strategic military operations. The Department of Defense is concerned about the probability of climate change increasing the likelihood of conflict in parts of the world. For example, water shortages in the Middle East could benefit terrorist organizations who could then exploit hunger and unrest. Additionally, increased shipping traffic in the melting Arctic could spark political tension between nations such as Canada, Russia, and the U.S., The Pentagon also forecasts that the severity of natural disasters worldwide is increasing and will become significant burdens for military-led relief efforts. For people in China, it might come down to a choice between the lesser of two evils, air pollution or earthquakes. As the country faces growing demands for electricity, it contemplates where that energy is better sourced from coal-fired power plants or hydroelectric dams. One factor complicating that decision, according to recent data, dams are partly responsible for the rise in earthquakes in western China, including, quite possibly, a 6.6 tembler that hit the Yunnan province last Tuesday. While dams are vilified for destroying scenic river canyons, habitats, and species, there are fewer discussions about their correlation to earthquakes. The quakes happen because water is heavier than air, so when a valley behind a dam is filled, the accumulating water presses down on the rock below. Loading pressure on faults, where it didn't used to be, can suddenly push those faults to slip. 
a well-known example is the reservoir behind the then newly built hoover dam which caused 600 small earthquakes in the 1930s given that scientists have been closely monitoring the reservoir behind the massive three gorges dam which has registered over 3,000 small earthquakes since the 400 mile reservoir began filling even more concerning, dams in China are built in a cascading fashion, so if one fails, it could set off a domino effect of collapsing dams. That said, air pollution in China is legendary as being the worst in the world, leaving many in that country with the vexing dilemma, damned if you do, damned if you don't. We learned this week about high school students in Roseburg, Oregon, who are carefully submerging themselves in rivers and creeks to gather data that will lead to restoration of fish habitat. Algae that looks brown through surface water is actually bright purple underneath the water, so says one of the students who braved cold waters of Canton Creek. The students don masks and snorkels and count the number of fish and estimate their age based upon length. They also measure the length and width of the creek bed. The students are part of a project sponsored by the Pacific Rivers Council based in Portland, Oregon. And finally this week, it's Sunday, and maybe you had brunch that included bagels. You might have a favorite vendor, or style, or you don't care, but for one Denver entrepreneur, the world's best bagels come from New York, and they're crispy on the outside, chewy on the inside texture. It's got everything to do with the water. Josh Pollock is a serious bagel baker, and for him there are essentially two elements in New York's water, the calcium and magnesium, that make that city's bagels unique. As a Colorado transplant, he wanted to recreate that. He contracted with a local filtration company to build a system that would reintroduce the necessary minerals in their proper proportions into his shop's water to help him offer the best bagels this side of Manhattan. Eden Miles is a competitor in Denver and he's having none of it. He doesn't feel his water is molecularly challenged and that it's more important to make bagels with good flavor. Furthermore, he thinks Pollock's New York bagels aren't all that authentic, saying the ones he has tried are too airy to be a true New York bagel. H2O Radio is in Denver, but we're staying out of it. We're journalists with integrity, and we don't have any interest in, or appetite for, being part of a schmear campaign. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio and is sponsored by Colorado WaterWise. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org.